This is 400 Plus. I'm Mark Sims. My guest is David Peterson, Jr. He is the president and executive director of the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Poetry Museum. How are you, Mr. Peterson? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for uh, for having me on. How's it going? That's great. I was I was told by a good friend to have you on the program, and I was telling him, I said, I was over there by Gately Stadium the other day, but it didn't dawn on me. It, just, it wasn't on the radar to stop by the museum. So tell us Absolutely. all about tell us all all about the A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum. Uh, well, well, the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum is a, a black labor history museum. It's the first and only of its kind in the world that exclusively honors and interprets and preserves, um, you know, contributions of African-Americans made to the labor history movement. Uh, we were founded at 1995, uh, February 25th. So once again, we just made 26 uh, last month. And uh, we were founded by Dr. Lynn Hughes, who actually moved to the neighborhood as a real estate speculator. And uh, she stumbled upon this, um, you know, these these hidden jewels, if you will, and, and kind of bought them as investment properties uh, and took a tour in the neighborhood and realized that no one was telling, you know, the story in depth of the contributions of people that look like her. And she took the initiative and turned the last investment property into a, a museum. Um, so, you know, since that time, you know, we've operated on an entrepreneurial model. So no, we're not a line item with the city, state or federal government like the majority of the museums, you know, that, that get the most traffic. Uh, but, you know, you know, we, we operate under uh, an entrepreneurial model called cultural economic development, which basically is a, a notion or a concept that gives us the capacity to benefit directly from our history, heritage and culture under the broader umbrella of tourism and hospitality. Uh, so now we're, we're global ambassadors, you know, of that that concept. And, um, you know, we're very proud to tell that story, um, you know, at our place we're now. Uh, one of the partner sites for the National Park Service, Pullman National Monument, which is Chicago's first and only National Park Service site designated by executive order using the Antiquities Act in 2015 by President Barack Obama. So that was historic for us uh, to, you know, kind of go from just being a part of this historic district that had already received, you know, city landmark status to now a part of the National Park Service's inventory. Um, so once again, you know, we just celebrated another birthday with that because he signed that in uh, February of 2015. So now what we do is just kind of continue to tell that story on a larger scale. But, you know, because we are where we are, we're forced to do more with less. So, you know, while it would be convenient for us to just be a cultural institution planted right on the southeast side of Chicago, um, you know, sometimes we have to be a community center, a community organization, you know, and because that's the case, we've had to kind of create tentacles uh, that give us give us the capacity to do a little more. So, um, birthed from the vision of Randolph, the organizing style of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, and just uh, my personal um, collegiate study of urban planning and economic development, we decided to create a community development corporation, uh, Randolph's Dream CDC, named after A. Philip Randolph once again, like the museum. And, uh, you know, our tagline is what this is about is making you master of your economic fate, because that's what A. Philip Randolph said to the Brotherhood uh, at the Elks Lodge in Harlem, New York, uh, 1925. I'm sorry, cutting in David Peterson. Just uh, just tell us, for those who don't know, tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about A. Philip Randolph, the Pullman Porters Mm 
and where the museum is located. A. Philip Randolph was the president of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, Dining Car Waiters and Maids, which was uh, America's first and only um, black labor union to receive a charter under the American Federation of Labor. Um, what, what they were comprised of was Pullman porters, once again, dining car waiters and maids. So, so all of the black workers for the Pullman company. And uh, that's who made up this union uh, you know, membership. And um, the Pullman porters had previously you know, attempted to try to organize themselves together, but they didn't have a leader. And when they read about uh, a. a Philip Randolph's opinion of them in his, in his newspaper called The Messenger, which was distributed and published in Harlem, they took a trip to kind of try to sway him to come and be their leader, if you would. Uh, they specifically chose him because he was someone who wasn't a Pullman Porter, so therefore he couldn't be bullied into silence. Because, you know, at that time, people weren't really interested in having them have their own union, which would give them their own autonomy and then fight for their own specific issues. So, um, you know, once again, the relationship with Randolph came and, um, you know, the birth, once again, of a, one of the world's greatest organizers began. You know, this is a gentleman that was basically a mentor and grandfather of the civil rights movement. No, I say that because uh, I was I was thinking earlier and watching some of the videos on on, on your on your page. Well, before I before I remember, say the address again. I mean, say the address. Sure, uh, our, our web address is PullmanPorterMuseum.com. Uh, we're located on 104th in Maryland, Chicago, Illinois. Okay, because people are like I know it's over there, but where is exactly at? So I got to get that in. Yeah, and at the end, of the, at the end of the show, remind me to ask you again at the end of the show. I I, I mentioned sure. I mentioned I was watching some of your videos. And I always think about the Pullman Porters, of course, being men. Then they had maids, and, I, and please forgive me for being a chauvinist. When I think maids, I, and back in that day, I think they were women. So they were women in the uh, uh, Pullman Porter part of the union, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, directly and indirectly, because it was the backbone of the movement was the ladies' auxiliary, which was comprised of the wives and you know female members of the family of those who were part of the union. And what they did was do the fundraising. Uh, and voting for the gentleman when they were on their on their runs, you know, so it wouldn't be noticed that they were somewhere voting and and uh, you know organizing to become their own union because they people were very very against that at first. So even though they were founded in '25, they didn't get their charter under the AFL CIO until uh, it was 1937. Well, so you know, women were always a part of their movement, so they didn't adopt you know the chauvinistic lifestyle. And the you uh, and when I think Pullman Porters, I was a personally and I like telling my story. Of course, <laughs> I was a limo driver for many t for many years, so I provided a service, but I never liked feeling like a servant. Of course, African Americans, black folks had were slaves; they were in uh, servants, and they of course then you serve. And and now today, a lot of people have service jobs, whether you're a lawyer or you're just, you know, working or whatever. You have service jobs and a lot of jobs are non-unionized jobs. And, of course, they're fighting now in places like Walmart and uh, Alabama. Hopefully they win that fight. The point is that how can we tie this history of the poor importers and a for, a for the Randolph to right down to the modern times where people can understand you are sort of living in a way the same fight as the Pullman Porters? Well, I mean, we can just start with, you know, the Pullman Porters organizing uh, the March on Washington in 1941, uh, which led to them getting in a negotiation conversation uh, with the President Rose, uh, President who was then President Roosevelt, 
about signing an executive order. Um, you know, they threatened to do a march on Washington once again in 1941, and then the president said to, said to prevent that from happening, that he would give them basically what they wanted, which was an executive order. Executive Order 8802, which banned all discriminatory practices in the armed forces, work-related fields, and work-related fields. Uh, so, so this was important because now this integrates government jobs. You know, so I mean, if you're a post office worker now, you, you thank the Pullman Porters and the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, you know, all of these, you know, government jobs, you know, this all came from, once again, the desegregation during that time, which, which was all, you know, behind the eight ball of Executive Order 8802. Uh, moving fast forward, you know, uh, the Montgomery bus boycott, you know, a local member of their, of their uh, union, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Uh, was an ex-Pullman porter named E.D. Nixon, who was also the local president of the NAACP. Uh, and his secretary was Rosa Parks. So, you know, when she was arrested, she was able to call her, her superior, who then called his superior, who was A. Philip Randolph, and he gave him a list of names. And that's how they were able to raise the capital needed in order to bail her out and fund the bus boycott. And then fast forward, we were looking for someone to, to kind of stand in and, and uh, leadership role for this march you know they couldn't find any of the pastors because they were all scared they were all bought off we were just kind of just scared that you know there would be um retaliatory tactics that would take place if they supported something of this nature so a young brave soul named martin luther king came when he was only 26 years old uh, and he you know volunteered to be the spokesman so that began a, a mentor mentee relationship between randolph the, the older brothers who were part of this union and this young gentleman who was getting it in, into the world of organizing you know, so so when 1963 came and everyone, um, you know, they had they had brought out the playbook from 1941. Of course, they wanted Randolph to be the keynote speaker. And in his infinite wisdom said, no, I want this young man to, to, to lead the charge. Uh, and, and that's how, you know, Martin Luther King became the keynote speaker for this piece. Uh, so, you know, there were a lot of different people that a lot of young organizers that that his leadership crossed paths with. You know, when when Marcus Garvey first came over here to the States, you know, um, he was the first one to give him the floor to say uh, at one of his events to say, hey, here's a young gentleman who has some things I think you guys need to hear, gave him the floor to speak. He was so shy, he fell over in the middle of the speech off the stage, you know, <laughs> but after that, you know, that was the beginning of his, of his reign, if you will. Uh, even Malcolm X, they stood together in solidarity uh, with, with the Puerto Rican uh, hospital workers who were trying to unionize during that time. You know, so, you know, there's a lot of different people that have influenced that were influenced by the organizing style of the uh, Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, not to mention that they, you know, basically were responsible for handcrafting the middle class as we know it for, for Blacks. You know, they were the gentlemen that had the means in order to buy uh, houses, uh, you know, and, and buy businesses in, in the neighborhood and support the businesses that were in the neighborhood, particularly in the Black Belt, AKA Black Metropolis, AKA Bronzeville. You know, that's where all of these gentlemen lived because of the restricted covenant that took place, which prevented them from living, you know, in Pullman where they actually worked. Uh, you know, there were a couple of families that lived there that were black, but they weren't porters. There were some, you know, transplants from different cities who had found out that George Pullman's company was hiring blacks. But that was once again before Plessy versus Ferguson. Well, I, I have to quit being lazy to come over there <laughs> to the museum. And so just invite yours truly and everybody else to bring, if you ain't been there in a while or if you've never been there, get over to the museum. Absolutely. We'd appreciate it. And once again, you know, you can, if you, if you, you're scared of COVID or, you, you know, you're having some restrictions, you can visit us online, PullmanPorterMuseum.com. We have a virtual tour there where you can go and sign up 
if you happen to be a descendant of a Pullman Porter and you want to you know, put your family's name into our registry, you can do all that right on the website. You can get a membership right on the website. Uh, you can see about some of the things that we do right on the website. And even farther than that, you can reach us on social media. So we've absolutely adapted very, very quickly uh, to the times at hand. We realize that people aren't necessarily able to, to necessarily go. So we still want to be able to provide sound advice and education on this subject matter. Uh, Mr. David Peterson, Jr., thanks for telling us a little bit about, for those who don't know and need to be reminded, of course, about the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you. Take care.